Thank you. Thanks, Megan. Um, today we're going to be looking at how to study a Bible passage. We've been spending time in the Word and, and talking about the importance of the Bible. Uh, but let's talk about last week's memory verse, okay? Uh, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. And if you know it, say it with me, okay? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And that was about, uh, remember, I was having a, a wrestling match with myself last week, if you are here, and how the Bible says that our thoughts are, are uh, the, the true battle is our thoughts, and we're wrestling against the thoughts that are contrary to God's word, contrary to his truth. And if we're believing lies, we're believing half-truths, it's holding us back from what God has for us. And so the true battleground of our faith is right here, right? It's it's what we're thinking. It's what we're believing because we we live out what we think and we live out what we believe and we act out of that. And so we are to take every wrong thought and we are to pin it like a wrestler to the mat until it taps out and it's defeated and it's gone. That's what the Bible says. Take captive every thought. Don't let any thoughts just kind of dangle in there and hang out there and and just and don't be passive. Don't be apathetic with those thoughts. Take it until you beat it down and it submits and you win. And sometimes it takes uh, more than one day, more than one week. Sometimes it takes a whole season of your life to retrain your thinking in an area of your life. But God has uh, designed you to win, and this is your tool to win right here, the truth of God's Word. That's why we're diving into God's Word uh, so much and just really encouraging each other to memorize a verse every week, to read the Bible every day, and to and just keep learning from Sunday mornings. And if you can't be here, to get those messages so that you're feeding yourself uh, the Word of God. So this week's memory verse is Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so we are hiding God's word in in our heart. The Bible says in Proverbs that we store up his commands within us. And and when those who store up God's commands within them, they are wise and, and they will have all these blessings that come with it, okay? And so let's try to memorize and meditate on Psalm 119, verse 11 this week, okay? And let's actually do it. Let's actually hide God's word into our heart. So uh, today I'm excited to teach you how to study a Bible passage. And as we do this, um, I want to just give you a little motivation for why should you study the Bible? Uh, Not just because it's true and because it's God's Word and because it has the power to change our lives, but I wanted to give you an illustration in the Scriptures of of just why it's so important that we study the, the Scriptures. Um, and I, I don't know if you've traveled much in the world, but uh, I've, been, I've been privileged to go to a lot of different countries. I don't know how many, but a lot, probably, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 or so. And there's places that you go when you travel where they, they, they ha- there's a common uh, bit of advice that you'll hear. And, and that common bit of advice usually is this, don't drink the water, Okay. Don't drink the water. A uh, lot of places I've been, uh, that's what they say. Don't drink the water. You know, drink Coke in the bottle. That'll be okay. You know. 
or bottled water or whatever, but don't drink the water. Don't ever drink it out of their cups or out of their faucets or out of their whatever, okay? Why? Because uh, you will get sick. And uh, in many parts of our world, even today, the water is, uh, is not healthy. Uh, it's contaminated. It's just not purified enough. And in most third world countries, that's the case, okay? And so we have uh, made, I'm sure, great advancements in, in our world with that regard over the last several decades, but it's still, it's still a concern. I've been in India, China, Guatemala, you know, places like that where you, don't, you just don't drink the water. You know it's not safe. And I think about that with regards to our Christian faith, okay? What I mean by that is this. Uh, there's, there's places I've been that I wouldn't consider uh, the place I've been that people were, were stupid. I wouldn't use that word. But I would, would say that in certain countries, uh, there's, there's a level of ignorance to some things that, that we know about water, okay? There's people that live in places where they don't know why they're getting sick. Okay, do you, you understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to belittle anybody. I'm saying they don't know that by, by washing in the river, by, you know, uh, having other things going on in the river and also using that same water to drink, they don't know that's where they're getting sick from. They haven't had science class, okay? They don't have the technology to understand that. They, they're not educated with that, but they're still suffering, Okay? I look around our culture today, and I'm applying this now to God's Word, and I see a whole lot of people who don't know certain things about God's principles of life. They don't know. They're not stupid. They just don't know, and they're suffering. They're suffering in their relationships, and their families are just stressed out or broken up. Why? Because there's some principles that they, they haven't discovered yet about God's peace and reconciliation and forgiveness and love. They don't know, but they're suffering. You see, not knowing uh, doesn't, is not bliss, right? Ignorance is not bliss. We suffer when we don't have the truth in place in our lives. And so the Bible says that there's, there's several different, there's three different words I want to share with you really quick as an introduction to give you some motivation to study the Bible, Okay. And, uh, and it comes out of, uh, there's one passage in Isaiah 53 where it's talking about how the Messiah would come, and it says here in verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities. That's the first word I want to share with you, infirmities. Uh, well, not really, that's not the word. I'm looking at a different word. Uh, that's sicknesses and diseases. Aren't you glad he, he paid for our sicknesses and diseases? And he carried our sorrows, our hurts, our pains, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. So there's three different words in, the, in this chapter for sin, okay? One word is transgressions. And so uh, a transgression is, and I, I mentioned this before, it's like uh, seeing a do not touch sign and touching it, okay? It's uh, don't step on the grass and you <laughs> step on the grass, you know? It's rebellion. Transgression is knowing exactly where the line is and crossing it with a stubborn heart and saying, I don't care, I'm going to do it anyway, okay? How many of you have done that before? Anybody? All right. And the Bible says that Jesus took up our transgressions. He paid for your rebellion. Now, today, a lot of people who are in rebellion against God, uh, it's because I believe that uh, there's something that 
a perspective that they have that's not accurate about God. I think people who rebel against God think that God doesn't love them, think that God's not fair, think that why, why would God let this happen to me? Why would he let that bad thing happen that's not right? And they project their pain or their suffering onto God. It's God's fault that that happened to me. It's God's fault that that, 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 that tragedy happened. And we've all experienced tragedy. But some people with a certain perspective then, then take that pain and they project it as God did that to me. And if that's who God is, I want nothing to do with him. What does he say to do? Okay, I'm doing the opposite. That, because of their perspective. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because anybody who really knows the true character of God would not be rebelling against him. And so there's something going on, some kind of perspective that we have that, that we need to have God help us see something different. Uh, so we have transgressions, we have rebellion, we have pride, we have that. The other word that I want to share with you as it goes on, it says, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Now an iniquity is, uh, is to be bent, and it really comes from our upbringing. We all have certain bentness in us, right? We, we grow up in a certain family, and there's certain things about our family, and some of those things are bent, they're skewed, they're out of order. And, uh, and so maybe we have a really uh, struggle with temper, or maybe we have a struggle with uh, alcohol, or maybe we have a struggle with, uh, you know, these types of things. And it's, and it's an iniquity. It's something that's, that's a bentness in us that we grew up, and that's just how we are because of the way that we saw it. And how many of you know that God set us free of our bentness, right? And he came to set us straight. He came to heal us and deliver us. But we need deliverance from our iniquities. We, and Jesus came to deliver us from our iniquities. And so there's, there's things in me that I needed help with. I need help with to get delivered. Now, the Bible says when we have an iniquity, when we have a sin of this nature, we need help. We need each other. The Bible says this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. And that's really what our Celebrate Recovery program is all about. That's what a lot of other successful programs are, is where you come and you can just be real about the pain or the, the struggle that you're having, get support, and then begin with someone's help to renew your mind and be set free and delivered from those iniquities and bondages, okay? And God does that because it says that he was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus was crushed so you could be set free from those bondages, that you don't have to be labeled that way anymore because of your father or your mother. You have a heavenly father who wants to rename you, relabel you, free, free, forgiven, whole, valued, treasured possession, okay? Now there's a third word for sin, and it is sin. <laughs> uh, way down here in verse uh, 12, it says, For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So aren't you glad that my, my iniquities are covered, my rebellion is covered, and then sin is all of the other stuff that we just miss the mark on? That we are not even, some of it, we're not even aware of it. We're not even aware that we're missing the mark. But we're suffering regardless when we miss the mark. I believe that every area of my life that I am not walking in alignment with God's word is like I'm drinking polluted water. That's what I, I'm just trying to give you an example. 
that I'm suffering in ways I'm not even sure why I'm suffering. But it's because there's something in my attitude or my thinking or my lifestyle or my, my past or something that is I don't know what I don't know and I'm suffering because of it because what I'm missing out on is the healthy life pattern that God has for me. And so, so my motivation for studying the Bible and your motivation for studying the Bible is not because you better do what God says to do. No, it's because God has given this to us that we might have life, do you see? That we might be fully alive. Jesus, I came that you might have a religion and that you're a devoted person to my religion. Did he say that? No, that's not, that's not in the Bible. He says, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Have a full life. So he came to deliver us, to, to pay for our sin, our transgressions, our iniquities, that we could be set free, we could follow in his ways, and be fully alive. So why would you study the Bible? <laughs> because you want to be alive. And the problem is you don't know what you don't know yet. But what you don't know is, is causing you to suffer. Do you, you hear what I'm saying? We see people all around. We, do you see that in our culture? A blind culture, a culture of death, a culture of just uh, winging it or going with what, what feels right or feels good, and it's, it's just destroying people's lives. And so, I, uh, so the Bible is meant for us to, to learn in order to put it into practice so we can be fully blessed and alive, okay? I remember there's some verses in, in Deuteronomy where uh, it's Moses kind of giving his last speech to the people, and, he's, and through, through the Lord he's saying, to, to follow these commands, to put these before you, to walk in these commands. And he constantly is saying, so that it will go well with you and with your children, so that you will be blessed and you'll have a long life, so, you know, so that you, you'll have the favor of God, the blessings of God in your life. And so he says, put these commands before you. Walk these things out. I'm giving you a choice, life or death. Choose life. Follow me. Follow my commands. Put them into practice so that it will be well with you and with your children. And so God's heart is that I'm giving all of this information to you. I'm showing you the path. I'm shining the light so that you will walk with me. You will find life. You will find your heart's desires in me. So that's why we want to know God's word and live it out and study, okay? So I hope that you're a little bit motivated. So I got some good water right here. You got good water? You know, how much good water do you got? Because we want to know what God is sharing with us. So I want to urge you, there's, it's one thing to, uh, you know, to start to read the Bible. That's awesome. There's a, it's another level, really, to start meditating and memorizing on his word. That's awesome. But I'm, I'm challenging you now, now to a, an, another level here, and that is to study. To study the word of God. To study it so that you can be fully alive. Okay, the truth will always set you free. And as you apply yourself to the word of God, it will teach you, God will teach you, and he will set you free. All right, so I'm just going to give you today kind of an idea of how to study the Bible. And there's four things we're going to talk about as far as studying the Bible. And you're going to want to keep these notes so that you can start practicing it on your own. And those four things, four categories that you use to study the Bible, they're listed in your notes. 
Number one, observation. What does, the, what does the Bible say? Whatever passage you're reading, just what does it say? Just read it several times to, dis- to discover what it says. And then you write down your observations, okay? One person once said, uh, if you're not writing down uh, when you're studying the Bible, if you're not writing something down, you're just reading it. You're not studying it. So you got to get a notebook and a pencil or pen. And when you want to study the Bible... You have your notebook, you have your pen or pencil, and you open the Bible, and you read it, and you say, okay, I'm going to study it. And study it, your first step is you're reading it, read it a couple times, and you write down what you observe. Ah, this is that, okay. All right, that's the first thing you do. The second thing you do is now you say, well, what does it mean? That's interpretation. What does this mean? What is this passage talking about? The third thing is, are there any other places in the Bible that talk about the same thing? It's called correlation. You're correlating other passages to get a fuller and more clear picture of what that, that, that passage is talking about. And then finally, this is the most important part, is application. What do I do with it? What do I do about it? What, how is this going to change my life? Uh, the sages say this. I, I say this to you often. We study to learn to do. Because when we do, we come alive and we're filled with the blessings of God. Amen. So we study in order to learn, in order to be able to do it, in order to live it out. Because when you're living it, that's where the blessings flow into your life, okay? And so let's look at these uh, steps. And we're going to look at a passage of of, uh, Scripture out of Philippians chapter 2 today. So if you have a Bible, you can open it, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. If not, I'm going to read it for you. And uh, as we do this, I want to just share with you again if you're interested in taking your, your Bible knowledge to a new level, you need to get yourself a study Bible, okay? This is mine. It says the NIV study Bible. That's what it is. And it has all kinds of notes that go with the verses. And before every book in the Bible, there's a couple of pages of background information, who wrote it, what the dates were, what's the theme of the, of the, of the book, what are some of the main things to look for. And it helps you study the Bible. That's why it's called a study Bible. It's awesome. My life really took on, or my, my understanding really took on a whole new level when I first started to read a study Bible. First time I got a study Bible, I think I was in uh, high school, like I think my senior year. And the uh, first time I ever read through the Bible was my junior year. Then my senior year, I got a study Bible. And then I started reading the Bible and reading the notes. And all of a sudden, my, my mind was just going, wow, wow. It was just started, I started understanding things so much more and learning so much quicker. And uh, if you really want to uh, accelerate your learning, then what you will do is get a study Bible and whatever, you read a, a chapter in the Bible and then you read all the footnotes, you will grow so fast from just doing that little extra effort of seeing what those, the context of those verses are, Okay. So get yourself a study Bible. So I have a study Bible and uh, the background information on the book of Philippians. I'm going to give you real quick. Paul wrote this letter. He wrote it. uh, He was the author of most of the New Testament, and he's writing this letter, we believe, from Rome, and he's in a house arrest. So he's he's in a rented house, and he's in this situation for two years. So he's kind of under house arrest. He has very limited uh, mobility. But um, people can come to him, and he can teach them the gospel. He can teach them the scriptures at this time in his life. But he can't leave. 
Uh, Paul is in prison because of his missionary work, and he's due to appear before Caesar. Uh, he's hoping to be released, and he's hoping to go back to visit all those churches that he started. Uh, but in the meantime, he's writing letters back to all these different churches, and this is one of them. Now, this letter was written to a city called Philippi, so it's called Philippians. If Paul was writing a letter to us today, it might be entitled the Montrosians or the Michiganders or something like that, okay? Because most of the letters that Paul wrote uh, are named after the city he was writing them to. So uh, the, the church that he started in Thessalonica, they call Thess- Thessalonians. And the church uh, from Corinth, they call Corinthians. And the church in Rome, he wrote a letter called Romans. Uh, and the church in Ephesus, he called it Ephesians, okay? He's just writing to the people, to the ram world or whatever. And so he's writing this letter, and basically uh, the Philippians had taken up an offering for him, and they sent this offering to him uh, by name, uh, this guy's name is Epaphroditus. And he's basically writing them back saying thank you, okay? So that's the background information, and uh, I want to read it for you, okay? So here we go. We are studying the Bible. I'm going to teach you how to study the Bible. So we're going to read this through. All right, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. In other words, Paul's in Rome. He's hoping to send Timothy back to this city in Philippi, which is in Greece. That I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him. No one else like Timothy, like him, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those Uh, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. He's saying, "I I hope I get out. I hope I can see you soon. Okay, that's what he's hoping for. Verse 25, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. So we're gonna find out who this guy is in a second. My brother, coworker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. In other words, they sent from Greece this guy named Epaphroditus from their church with their love offering, and Epaphroditus came and brought that to Paul, and Paul saying, now I want to send him back, okay, to you. And he goes on to say, for he longs for all of you. In other words, he's homesick, right? And he is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Not only is Paul in prison, but Epaphroditus is a close friend of his. It's his brother, you know, his fellow soldier, uh, his co-laborer. So he has a, a, a close relationship with him, and he would have been just incredibly sad if he had died. So he's saying, uh, you know, God spared me that sorrow as well. Verse 28, therefore, I'm all the more eager, eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. <laughs> so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So we read something like this in the Bible and we think, well, there's nothing really you know, amazing in here that stands out. Not, nothing real deep doctrinal truth. It's just a thank you letter. 
But the scriptures say this in 2 Timothy 3.16, and this is from the Living Bible Translation. It says, the whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God, and it's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, and it straightens us out and helps us do what is right. Straightens out those bent parts and helps us do what is right. So the Bible says all of it is of God, and all of it has some value to teach us something. So even in this passage, even though nothing jumps out maybe particularly to you at first, when we begin to study it, we will see something that God wants us to learn and, and grow from, okay? Romans 15.4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So unless we're willing to study these Scriptures, we're going, we will not have the hope that they offer to us. They won't. There's scriptures of encouragement uh, that we need to, to find that will build us up and, and, and strengthen us, okay? So let's go through these four steps. The first step is observation. What does it say? And if you're studying the Bible, you want to read a passage several times, okay? You read through it first time, you catch a little bit, then you slow down a little bit, read through it a little bit more, and then you start looking for words. You try to notice things. So you read through it a couple of times, two, three, four times, and you're just looking at it, and then all of a sudden, start writing down what you notice. Here's some things that you might notice if you did that with this passage. First of all, Paul is sending two men back to Philippi. Anybody know their names? Timothy and the other guy, <laughs> Epaphroditus. So he's sending two guys back, okay? We, we notice that, so write that down. Paul intends to send two men back to Philippi. Uh, verse 19, I hope to send you Timothy. Verse 25, I think it's necessary to send Epaphroditus back to you. Second thing we might notice is Paul is endorsing these guys as role models. He's saying some pretty good things about these two guys, right? In verse 20, about Timothy, he says, I have no one else like him. Whoa, wait a minute. This is Paul. This is probably the I don't know if we are to rank Christians in the history, but he's like the top Christian of all time. I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament. He, he died for his faith. He planted all these churches. He was, a, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul knows a lot of people, and he says, there's nobody like this guy, like Timothy. That, that means something. You're like, whoa, who is this guy? And why is Paul saying that about him? That, that would get my attention. What, what is Paul saying about this guy? Uh, in verse 29, he's talking about Epaphroditus, and he says, welcome him and honor people like him. Okay, honor people like him. What, what is this guy like? Because Paul says, this guy's, you know, this is the kind of person that you should be paying attention to. You should be honoring someone like him. And I want to mention uh, to you also, he said, like him to Timothy, and he said, like him about Epaphroditus. Two different times he used that same phrase, like him, like him. And he, Paul is saying something to his listeners. Listen, look at this guy. Look at this guy. Be like him. Be like these guys. You know them. You know what they're like. So Paul's trying to put a special emphasis on, on uh, these guys' models. The third thing I would say is if you start to catch on to that and you read through this carefully again, you're going to notice five different things that Paul said about these guys. If you, if you start thinking that way, why is Paul trying to get us to be like these guys. What did he say about them? He said five different things. Number one, in verse 20 and 21 of Timothy, he says, he takes a genuine interest in you. He takes a genuine interest in you. Verse 22, he has proved himself. Verse 25, 
He's my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. Verse 26, he longs for all of you. And, and, and uh, at the end, it says he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life for the ministry. So that's kind of observation. You just write these things down. And now you ask the next question, what does it mean? Interpretation. What does this mean? In this passage, kind of following the, the, the observations I just made with you, it really gives us five marks of what it means to be a godly man, and I will say a godly woman. Even though these are men, uh, we can apply this to, I think, men and women, and you're looking at five things that Paul is saying, be like him. Look at him. There's nobody like him. Honor him, and here's five things that, that Paul outlined uh, that, that they did or they were about, okay? So we're going to look through these five things real quick. Number one, in verse 20 and 21, Paul says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So there's a rare quality uh, to be someone who is genuine in the concern of other people. We look around our world, and what do we see? Everybody's about me, right? And Paul says, Timothy's not like that. Look at him. He has a genuine concern about you. He thinks about you. He's not just thinking about himself. In fact, he, he is interested in you. He cares about you. He's cared for me. And uh, the other translations, Philip's translation says, all the others seem to be wrapped up in their own affairs. Have you noticed anybody like that? They're just, they're, everybody's wrapped up in their own business. We all have our own stuff we're trying to do. But not so with this characteristic. So number one, the first characteristic here would be a godly man or a godly woman is someone who cares. They're caring about other people. And what does that mean? It means to be compassionate, unselfish, to think about others, to not be selfish or thinking just about your own stuff all the time. And Paul says that this trait is worthy of honor. When you see someone who is caring about others, applaud them, honor them. They are a God, that's a godly trait, that's a godly man, that's a godly woman. That's what God wants you to do is care for other people, not just yourself. Amen? Everything in our culture teaches us to be self-centered. It's all about you, not about helping others. All of our movies, magazines, books, video games, music, it's all about me, what I want, what I deserve, what I feel, what I think, what my rights are. It's not about others. It's not about putting my stuff aside and caring for others. But the Bible says that's what is to be godly, is to put your stuff aside and to take a genuine interest and care for others. To actually give up your time, your thoughts, your energy, your rights, and take care of somebody else. That's a godly woman. That's a godly man. Okay? So if you're looking for a spouse, you might want to look for someone who is unselfish. Right? Women, look for someone who will open a door for you. Right? Ask your opinion. Uh, not always someone who's in control, always has to have their way, who's manipulating or bossing or obsessed with their appearance or obsessed with always talking about themselves, right? Because that, that's probably not a godly person, or at least they're really lacking in that area of their life. All right, the second thing that Paul says in verse 22, Timothy has proved himself. And so proven means to be tested. So Paul's saying he's been checked out, he's been verified, he's been determined to be reliable. You can count on this guy. He is there in the thick and the thin, uh, through thick and thin. He's proven to be faithful. He's proven to be dependable. You can count on him. His word is his bond. He's going to keep his promises even when it hurts. 
And this is, in Paul's view, an unusual and admirable trait. When we look around our world, how many people will swear to their own hurt? Even when they, when they make a promise, they will fulfill it, even if it costs them more than they anticipated, even if it's not convenient and they thought it was going to work out better. How, how many people will be there in the, through the thick and thin with you? And God says, this is a godly trait, someone who's dependable, who's proven, who's not up and down, in and out, but they are steady and they are faithful and they are committed. Can I get an amen on that? So this is a godly man, a godly woman, someone who is consistent, who's not wishy-washy, who's faithful, who's, who's a, a person of their word, and who has conviction. And, uh, you know, the difference between an opinion and conviction is uh, you'll argue uh, about your opinion, but you'll die for your conviction. And God wants you to have conviction. Conviction. Like, you, it doesn't matter if, you, if you, you're following Christ, you're consistent, and you're going to be there, and you're going to do it no matter, because it's conviction. It's not just convenient to you, you know? And so God is looking for us to be a person of conviction, to be consistently living in accordance with his word, that we don't live one way here and a different way there, that we're not one person here and another person there, but that we're consistent and we're committed to him and his word. Okay, so Paul says he's proved himself, and that's a godly trait. Be like him. There's nobody, I got nobody like him. Be like him. You be consistent in your faith. That's a godly trait, okay? That's what a godly man and a godly woman looks like. You're in there, consistent, one day at a time, faithful, dependable, even when it's not easy. You know what I'm saying? All right, that's a godly man. That's a godly woman, all right? Number three, verse 25, he says this. I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my coworker, my fellow soldier, this is pretty awesome. So Paul has given us three different metaphors for the church, okay? Brother, we are family, right? We're in this together. And you look at the scriptures, I think it's over, uh, what is it, over 100 times in the New Testament, Christians are referred to as brothers or sisters. So it's a very common idea that we are family, a spiritual family. And Paul says he's my brother. He's also my coworker or co-laborer. And that's like our fellowship. This is a fellowship. It's like a team. We have roles. We have a mission. We have goals that God has given us. So we're not just a family, but we're also on a team, right? There's a mission. There's a fellowship. There's, there's things that God has called us to do together. And it's like in, a, in any sports, you have different people with different roles. We all have different roles. We all have different gifts. And we celebrate that as we make the team whole and, and effective together, Right? And we all matter on this team. And it's also a soldier. He calls him a soldier. We're in a fight together. We're a family. We're a fellowship. And we're in a fight together, right? Are we in a fight together? We're not fighting each other. But we are in a fight together. We have the same enemy. We're in the same war. We have to have each other's back. So Paul's like, he's my brother. We love each other. We take care of each other. He's my co-worker. We're in this work together. We're doing this work together, this good work of God. We're serving God's purposes together, and he's my fellow soldier. He's got my back. I got his back. We're fighting together. We're fighting together, not against each other. We're fighting together. And I, I'm really excited. You know, you need, you need each other. 
You need a family. You need this fellowship. You have a purpose for your life. And you need the support of your fellow soldiers. Okay? You need that. This, these are analogies from Scripture. That says this is, you better have these kind of people in your life. You better be connected to a spiritual family and a spiritual fellowship because you are in a spiritual fight. And you're going to need their help. And others need you. They need your help. They need your encouragement. They need your gifting. They need your love. And, uh, and so no one can do this thing alone. There's just no lone rangers in the, in the family of God. And so I'm excited to tell you that recently we, we figured out we have 168 of us in life groups right now and in some kind of Bible study. And we're in this together. So that is a great sign of, of a, a healthy family, a healthy uh, fellowship. And so if you're not connected, though, you need to get connected. You need to plug in. Even tonight, we have a, a really cool series that's just started last Sunday night, uh, The Truth Project. You can come there tonight if you're not connected at all and start meeting some people and keep growing in your faith at 6 o'clock tonight right here in this room. And so that's pretty exciting. But a godly man... And a godly woman is like this, and the word that I'm choosing here is cooperative, because you have to cooperate if you're in a family, you have to cooperate if you're on a team, you definitely have to cooperate if you're in a fight. You have to help each other, work together. And so a godly man, a godly woman recognizes that we're all of these things for each other. And, and I'm, I'm going to look out for my brothers and sisters, and I'm going to work with them, and I'm going to... I'm going to not be just an independent rogue person, right? Because there's people at stake. Lives are at stake. My brother, my sister, my family, our team, the, the vision that we're, 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 we're choosing to follow after that God has given us and the fight that we're in. Okay, the fourth one is in verse 26. It says, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because he heard, uh, you heard that he was ill. So Epaphroditus is emotionally uh, feeling stressed because they're feeling uh, emotionally distraught because of his sickness and his illness. He cares about how they feel. And so this one is that he's considerate. Uh, a man or a woman of God is considerate of others, that not just thinking about them, but they care about what they feel. We care about each other's feelings. We care how each other is doing. And uh, so here's the, here's the situation, real quick. He was uh, approximately... 800 and uh, some miles away from Greece to Rome. And they had to cross the Adriatic Sea. And so the, the church wanted to help Paul. So they're over 800 miles away. And how many of you know they didn't have trains back then? No trains, no planes, no cars. And Epaphrodite said, I'll do it. I'll go. Someone had to go. The whole church couldn't go, but they picked someone. And Epaphrodite said, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll take the trip. He left his business, he left his family for months. He went on this dangerous journey, and, and he almost died. He got sick on the way. They didn't have a Holiday Inns. They didn't have a McDonald's every exit. Uh, this is like an arduous trip that would have taken him months to get to Paul, and he would have gone through a lot of danger along the way. And I was thinking about this, this is a... It'd be like from us walking from here to Atlanta, Georgia, and crossing a giant, you know, sea in the midst of that somehow. And so he did this at great personal expense, uh, at, at great uh, risk of his life, not knowing if he would, he would even make it. This was not a simple deal at all. He was literally risking his life, and he almost died. 
and the people heard about it, and they were freaking out, and he felt bad that they felt bad. So to be considerate, to be a man or a woman of God who's considerate, uh, you know, is are you ever distressed about anybody else's distress? You know, the Bible says that we, we laugh with those who laugh, but we mourn with those who mourn, that we, we care about each other. And so that's a godly trait. I don't know about you, but it seems to me like never before that I've ever experienced a wave of rudeness and vulgarity just in our society that I've never really imagined. When I was thinking of my life when I was a teenager, I would have never have imagined the kinds of things that are going on in our culture right now and the, just the vulgarity and the, the rudeness and uh, just the intensity of, of just bad, like the way that people are dressing, the bumper stickers that people now put on their vehicles, the T-shirts people are wearing, uh, the brashness of our social media and what's going on there. And it just seems like a preoccupation that people have to try to do something so radical that to get attention for themselves without any regard to how anybody else will feel. This is ungodly. It's ungodly to be considerate of others, to care about others, to care about what they feel. That's a godly trait. That's what godliness looks like. Godliness looks like holding your tongue most of the time. Not saying what you believe and what you think and what you feel to the harm of those around you. That, that, it's godly to hold your tongue. I just read this morning, I read the uh, proverb every day, and this morning in Proverbs, what's the date today, 17? or Yeah, so chapter 17, somewhere in there you can see it. It says something like, even a fool appears wise when they're silent. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The Bible says this in Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. It's, it's not, it's not uh, a badge of honor to say, well, I just say it like it is. That's called being rude. That's not godly just to spew out your opinions and, and your unfiltered expression of what you think. It's, that's easy. That's easy, but it's not godly. And it, doesn't, and it hurts people. Uh, and so, you know, that's immature. That's what kids do. Kids just say what comes to their mind, right? We need, as godly men and women, we need to have something called a considerate filter placed somewhere, somewhere between here and here, that brain. We need some kind of a considerate filter, okay, that stops some of those things from being said. And that would be godly. Paul says that's godliness, to be considerate, that you care how other people are feeling. Uh, the last one that he mentions here is, uh, is towards the end of that passage, and he says, indeed, he was ill and he almost died, talking about Epaphroditus. He almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. He gave his life to this mission to help me on your behalf. And a godly man or a godly woman is courageous. Courageous. Think about what this guy did. Our church right here. There's a church, it's a group of people, and there was a mission that had to be done, and it was dangerous and Epaphroditus stands up and says, I'll do it. And he was risking his life. 
to do this. And he almost died. And Paul says, honor people like him because he laid it all on the line for you and for God out of love. And it was not to zero benefit of himself. It was only to take care of me, only to express your love and concern for me. It was nothing for him in it, nothing in it for him. And we look around our, our world and we see people uh, risking their lives for a, an adrenaline rush. I'm going to jump off this mountain or I'm going to jump out of the, you know, whatever. I'm going to do this just because. You know, just they're risking their life for an adrenaline rush. We see people risking it off for a business adventure. They want to they strike it rich, so they'll make great risks. And Paul's saying, who is out there who's willing to risk something for the kingdom of God? Who's willing to go for it for not their sake, but the, for, for the sake of somebody else? to care for somebody, to love somebody. Who's, who's willing to do that? If you find someone like that, honor them because that's a rare and godly trait. That's a godly man. That's a godly woman. Someone who's laying their life down and taking a risk for the kingdom that someone else might be loved and reached and, and experience God's love and favor. This was a missions trip. This is a short-term missions trip. We got some people, maybe it's not as intense, Maybe, maybe we don't feel quite like we're risking our lives, but we've got some people going to Africa this summer. We've got some people going to Peru this summer. Some people going to Mackinac Island this summer. They're putting some time aside. They're putting some money aside. They're, they're going to help somebody, to love somebody, and we should honor people like that. That's what the Bible says. We should honor people like that who are making a, taking a risk, for, not for themselves, for someone else. And, you know, when we have someone like Pastor Thampy come, and uh, we were blessed to have him come again this last year, and I, I thought the previous one was his last time, but when we have someone like that come here, we need to be standing up and applauding and honoring them because they, they have lived their whole life for other people and for the gospel. They have sacrificed everything. He has had death threats his whole life. He's had people attempted to try to kill him several times. And he, he says that all of his enemies have either died or been converted to Christ. <laughs> God has protected him and saved him. But we need to honor people who are going for it, for the kingdom of God. And that's kind of um, what I want to maybe end this message on. Do you have a convenient faith or a courageous faith? Today's Christianity... Uh, seems in America uh, without teeth or commitment or sacrifice. There's very few heroes. I, I think about, you know, the beginning of this church. And when I was a child, I was, uh, I, I guess I was in uh, maybe fifth grade, I think, when this church started. And I remember the early days. I was there, you know, I saw it. And I just remember the intensity, the passion, the reckless abandonment of our founding elders and families. I remember the sacrifice. I remember the sweat. I mean, you had to want to have church back in the early days of the Lamb of God Fellowship because you had to come to the hall early. You had to clean up some puke from the night before at the banquet hall. You had to set up these freezing cold chairs that were stored outside in the barn. And you had to cover the bingo board with 
with banners. We had to pull out a sound system, hook the whole sound system up, tweak the whole thing every single week. And then we'd have church, and we had to pack all that stuff away. And it was like, it was awesome. You had to want it. I love these chairs, but there's, there's parts of me like, man, we're so spoiled. We walk in, we sit down on these three, four-inch cushion chairs. These were the old aluminum chairs, remember? Those aluminum chairs, yeah. And it was cold, so it would just like seep right through, right through your clothes. And uh, we had transparencies, and we're like, eh, eh, it's upside down. Eh, eh, spin it around. Oh, move it up, move it down. Oh, go, grab the next one. It was like, where's the next words? All I'm saying is I have so much respect for those who have gone before us, some of those who are s- sitting here today, and uh, we're going to honor them in a couple of months as we recognize our elders again for this next coming year, and we have a few new elders that we're going to be prayerfully submitting to you to join our eldership team, and we're going to honor our elders, but I want to honor those who just put it all out there, took a huge risk for God, didn't know how it was going to go, but they just, like they were sweating for God. Do you sweat for God, you know? Does your faith cost you anything, or is it just convenient? Are you sacrificing anything? Or, are you, or is it just out of comfort that you, you, you dabble? Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to condemn anybody in this room. We have an, an amazing church, amazing love, but we have an amazing opportunity that God has given us. And, and so you take a passage of Scripture like this, and on, on the surface is like, what, yeah, what is, you know, it doesn't, I don't see much. And then all of a sudden you start to study it. You start to look at it, and God starts to speak to you. And you say, Wow. Who's this guy? Who's Timothy? Who's this Epaphroditus dude? Wow, I don't want a convenient I want to be the guy that stands up. I want to be the woman that stands up. I want to be the one that says, I'll do it. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to have a courageous faith. You see what I'm saying? And that's the question. You know, the, I didn't finish the message, but the next, the next point of Bible study is you look for other passages that will help you understand those passages as well. And there's two whole books about Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. So you want to learn more about him. You start reading those books. There's only one other place where Epaphroditus is mentioned, and it's in chapter 4. And that's it. And then the fourth and final thing is, what do I do about it? And my, my challenge to you is, be courageous. Look at your faith. Is it just a convenient, comfort-level faith, or is it a courageous faith? Are you a man of God? Are you a woman of God? Are you caring for others? Are you compassionate? You know, are you, um, uh, are you what's the other ones? Are you consistent? Are you in it to win it day in, day out? And uh, what's it, cooperative? Are you working together? Are you helping one another? Or are you just a, a lone ranger? And, and are you courageous? Or is this just a convenience to you? Don't be afraid to step out in what God's calling you to do. I know Chris and Robin took a big step to start Celebrate Recovery last year. It was a really big step. I know people on this stage up here have taken steps to be where they are today just like, oh, man, I'm nervous. I don't know. But they took a step. What step is God calling you to take? Don't hold back. You got one life to live. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. God, God made you for this time. He put you on earth for this time. There's people whose lives will be changed if you step forward in courage with God, saying this is, this is a gift I have. This is a time that I have. 
This is a resource I have. I'm just going to step forward and, and offer it to God. Lives will be changed because of that courageousness on your part. But don't live life, you know, comfortable. Don't just back away and have a, just a comfortable lifestyle. That's, that's wasting the opportunities that God has for you. Be courageous. Isn't that what God said to Joshua? Be bold. Be courageous. For I am with you. I am with you. Let's go. Let's do something. Let's make something happen. This isn't about we have to. This is we get to. We are meant to be adventurers. We are meant to be pioneers of this faith. We are the big spotlight in a dark room. Turn your spotlight on. Let's get after it. Let's go. Be courageous. Be courageous. Let's stand this morning. We have a great mission. We have a great cause. We have a great God. We have a great destiny. We have nothing to hold back for. When your life is done here, we got eternity already with God. We got all eternity to celebrate and, uh, and, 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 and enjoy uh, the blessing of God. But we get this one little opportunity right now to love God and to serve his purposes on the earth. There's people out there that need you. They need the God that's in you. They need the gifts that God's put in you. They need the time that God has given to you, the resources God has blessed you with, the personality that God has given you, the story that God has redeemed you from. There's people in this world that need what's in you. Every single one of you, every one of us, we all have something that God has placed in there to be a blessing to somebody else be a blessing to someone else. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Your Lord, your God, he's with you. He's in you. Be courageous. Be bold. Do something. Okay? Let's go do something this week. Let's go do something. We're not meant just to live life and pay all the bills. You know, that's not, that's not what this is about. All right? We are meant to, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth until Christ returns. All right, let's just pray as we close. I just want to pray for all of us at the same time. And if you're willing to be courageous, if you're willing to say, hey, God, I want to be that, that man. I want to be that woman. I want to be that young person that says, here I, here I am, send me. I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that says, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll trust in God. I'll be courageous. I'll go for it. I'll just put my hands in God's, my, my life in God's hands. If that's you, uh, would you just put your hand up? Say, God, that's me. I want to be courageous with my life. And I just want to pray for you that the Lord will continue to speak to you and give you all that you need to do what he's called you to do. Lord, I thank you for the hearts uh, that are represented by these hands here today. Lord, I pray that your anointing will come upon each one who's reaching up to you right now. God, that you will drive out all fear, all insecurities, all the hurdles that would come mentally against, against us trusting in you Break those walls down, smash those mountains, remove those barriers, take the fear away, Lord, and give us the anointing of your spirit that we'll be bold and courageous. God, that we will trust in you. We'll risk it all for you. And God, we thank you that you are with us. You are for us. And you are faithful to us. Lord, we thank you that you have destined us for this time and this place, Lord, to be doing great exploits for our King. Lord, live through us this week. Live through each one of us this week, Lord. Let other lives be lifted and changed and touched this week. Lord, may you overflow through us, God. Let us not hold back. Let us be courageous. Speak through us, Lord. Love through us. Serve through us. Give through us. 
Encourage through us this week, Lord. We give ourselves to you now. We give ourselves to you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just whisper your own prayer to the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I'm yours. Lord, help us. Help me, Lord, this week to be courageous, to be filled with you, to be thinking about other people as you put them on my heart, to be caring for other people, to be considerate of others, to work for your kingdom, Lord, this week. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. As we go this morning, I uh, want to invite the worship team to close us out with a song. I want to bless us, uh, but then if you just want to linger and sing and worship during this next song, please, please do so, okay? We also have our prayer team still here. If you just want some prayer, some support, some encouragement, if God's speaking to you right now about something, come forward. Let's pray together, and let's just solidify that in prayer with each other. Let's agree together. Okay, let's agree together whatever God is saying to you. Come forward and receive some prayer. Thank you, Lord. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Thank you, Lord. And may the courage of the Lord just come upon you this week with clarity and conviction and power of the Holy Spirit to engage a world that's lost, that's confused, that's dying. And may the Spirit of the Lord come upon you in those moments with great clarity and word and wisdom and power to shine the light in the darkness, to bring healing to those who are sick, to lift up those who are downtrodden, to set free the captives and to share the good news of the gospel in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Lord.